Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. So anyway, so this is, these are just a, 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 you know, a few pictures. In fact, these past two weeks, you know, in our crusades, we normally see, uh, every night we see people who are deaf healed. In, in 35 years of crusades in Africa, I've only had one service when I've not seen a deaf person healed. And that was because there was nobody deaf who came for prayer. Uh, but that happened only once. But uh, we, we do see some blind people healed. But these two weeks, we saw blind people healed every night. We were actually surprised at how many, how many blind people uh, received their sight. And, 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 and the thing is that, you see, what, one thing I can say is, uh, how do I put it? There's a lot of things I don't understand when it comes to the workings of the spirit. I couldn't, uh, you know, tell you this is, I mean, you're never an expert, uh, uh, but I do know one thing that, uh, uh, that the gospel is true, that when we preach the gospel, God always confirms the gospel with signs, wonders, miracles, that one. Then we know that the other thing we know is that the Jesus of the Bible is still the same today. He has not changed. You know, he, he has not changed because he's the one we are dealing with. You know, he's the one. And, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's, he's the unchanging one. And the third thing is that the Holy Ghost who fell on the day of Pentecost is, is still here today. He's still the same today. So these are things we must tap into. These are things we must tap into. And I think sometimes Christianity in general, Pentecostal Christianity, you know, we, we, I, I, sometimes I figure out, I try to understand what kind of games are we playing. And we want to see a move of God. We want to see the Holy Spirit move. And we, you know, and we get into all these things. We talk about all these things. But really the main thing is Jesus Christ crucified. You know, Paul said, I, 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 when I came to you, my brethren, I, I didn't want you to know about anything except anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that is, that is really the, the, how should I say, that should be our focus. Christ crucified and risen. Yeah. Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Because that's, the cross is where everything flows from. The cross is where everything flows from, right? Now, we like to talk about faith. Faith is great, but faith by itself is nothing. It's the object of your faith. Uh, it's faith in Jesus. It's faith in who Jesus is. It is faith in what Jesus has done. And sometimes I think we, we begin to worship faith. You know, we begin to worship the anointing and we uh, we, we, you know, we talk a lot of, about these things, but we forget that which is really the nucleus. That is Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Jesus Christ is crucified. He rose from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. And, uh, and he has all the power and he's bigger than the devil. You know, sometimes we, we are so busy fighting the devil. Listen, Jesus has already defeated the devil, you know. So we couldn't defeat the devil even if he had both his hands tied behind his back. We couldn't defeat the devil by our own efforts. But Jesus 
has already defeated the devil. And so, but we can enforce his victory by preaching his gospel, by acknowledging him and glorifying him. You know, these are the things we should really hold on to. So we got to recalibrate, refocus our faith, our Christianity. Amen. So that is, you know, so why do such things happen? I just preach the cross, I guess. That's the, uh, you know, uh, you were there. I just preach about Jesus and, and these things happen. Uh, there was one night in these last two weeks then when we didn't have that many miracles. We have a few deaf people, few blind people healed uh, and not as I had expected. And I asked the Lord, I was kind of very distraught. And the Lord said, because you didn't preach the cross tonight. And I realized I hadn't, I'd preached another message that in America would have people running and whooping and hollering. But it wasn't good enough for Jesus because he said, you didn't preach the cross. If you want to see miracles, you must preach the cross. And if you want to see people baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, I always preach on the blood. I have one message from Zechariah 13, verse 1, about the river that God said, would, would cleanse people from sin and uncleanness. And I preach about the cross. I preach about the blood because the Lord told me years ago that in the Old Testament, whenever the fire fell, the fire never fell on a dry altar. The fire always fell on a bloody altar. So the Lord and, and, and God always answers uh, the blood with fire. So the Lord said, if you want my Holy Ghost to fall, preach about the blood. You preach about the blood, the Holy Ghost will fall. And that's when we see people baptized with the Holy Spirit in in such mass numbers. You preach about the blood, the Holy Ghost falls. And and when the Holy Ghost falls, you don't have to coach them to say, okay, when the Holy Ghost comes, say, yabba dabba do, you know, 20 (laughs) times and, and, and you'll be speaking in tongues. You don't have to coach people. The Holy Ghost comes and people... I mean, you were there, you know, so people, uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's always wonderful when God moves. And when God moves and we just stand there and say, you know, I really had nothing to do with this. This was all God. Because uh, when, whenever we try to produce or reproduce something, it, it has limited effect. But, but when God does something, it's always wonderful. It's always fantastic. It always leaves us standing there in awe. And, you know, it leaves us standing there in awe. And we should never lose that awe uh, in God's presence and uh, at the things that he does. And uh, that's very important that we shouldn't, uh, you know, we should never lose our awe in his presence and when, when he moves and touches people's lives. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes you get so spoiled seeing such miracles all the time, you know, lame people walking, blind eyes, but it's all about Jesus. And, and, and the other thing is that he, he's the same, not just yesterday, today, and forever, but he's the same everywhere. Because, I, you know, some people said, well, you know, the miracles of God are territorial. Yeah, territorial. And uh, I've heard some famous Charismatic preachers talk about this. They said, well, Reinhard Bonke, I was at his crusade in Africa. There were all these miracles, and he came to Texas, and nothing happens because his authority is there and not here. 
And I thought, it's not, such things are not found in the Bible. I mean, such drivel is not found in the Bible. It is men's excuses for their lack of faith. That's what it is. People, instead of saying, you know, like I mean, there was a guy who came to Jesus. He was honest. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He was so confused. He didn't, know, he didn't even know whether he had faith or unbelief. So he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like he had both, you know. But he, he, he was confused. But, you know, it's better to be like that because then God can move when a person is honest instead of saying, well, you see, we have all the faith, but God is the problem, you know. He's territorial. God is not territorial. The Bible is the same everywhere. Jesus is the same everywhere. The Holy Ghost is the same everywhere. And as Pastor Rusty says, you know, I had pastors ask me, brother, why doesn't God move in America? I said, it's your words, the confession of your mouth. You don't believe God moves in America. That's why you ask these questions. And there's no virtue in asking stupid questions. <laughs> the virtue is in the proclamation of faith. Amen. That, that's where the power is. In, in the confession of faith, you know, a proclamation. We're not asking dumb questions. Why doesn't God do things here? Who says he doesn't? Is there a scripture for it? No, because we go by what the Bible teaches. Anyway, anyway, let's go. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. I want to share something very simple with you. And uh, I always share simple things. And I leave the more complicated matters to people like Pastor Rusty. Amen. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And Philippians chapter 3, this is a very interesting chapter because Paul talking about, talks about his, his background, his pedigree. And uh, I can start reading from verse 4. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man um, thinketh that he is whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. This is very interesting because Paul uh, is talking about him being a Jew because he was, he was not a secular Jew. You know, he was not your Bernie Sanders kind of Jew, you know. But, <laughs> you know, you know, I like to play with people's brains and especially around election time when people are so touchy and sensitive. Yeah. So I wrote on Facebook, I said, you must vote for Bernie Sanders because if you don't, you are anti-Semitic, you know? Yeah. And I had people up in arms mad at me, you know? I was just, I like to play with young people. Can you say young people's chains? Yeah, I like to do that and I have fun doing it. I love to get people mad at stupid things, you know? So. <laughs> Especially when people get so touchy, you know. So anyway, so, so Paul was a committed Jew. He was a committed Jew. And he, I mean, he really kept the law. He did his best to keep the law. So it says that though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Well, now Paul said in Romans that we put no confidence in the flesh. Because through the works of the law can no man be justified, you know, in his sight. So he knew that. But he's making a point here. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, 
If any man, if any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says that, you know, I was a good Jew. I did a pretty good job. And so I have reason to be proud of the fact that I did keep the law. I, I gave it a good shot, you know. And so he says, and if there's others who think that they were good at keeping the law, I was better than them. So he's establishing how, you know, how zealous he was in his practice of Judaism in keeping the law. Then he says, uh, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He's talking about his pedigree now. Uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He's talking about his theological education, as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. So he talks about, you know, he's keeping the law, his pedigree, his bloodline, about his, uh, you know, uh, about his theological background. He's a Pharisee. And when it comes to zeal, I persecuted the church because that was the thing to do in his day. You know, the, if you were a good, zealous Jew, you persecuted the church. He was, I was in that also. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That means that I kept the law. I, I was blameless, you know. He says, but, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, all these things, my, my blamelessness in keeping the law, my being a good Jew in, uh, you know, uh, all, and my pedigree, my education, my accomplishments, all these things. When I met Jesus, these things were nothing to me. He said, when I met Jesus, these things were nothing to me. Then he says, Verse 8, yes, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, all these things, I count them as loss compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, there were certain things, certain adjectives that Paul used which revealed to us how much he understood the value of certain things. And one of these things, it was not just the knowledge of Christ, but it was the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I mean, he really appreciated Jesus. So he had this blamelessness, you know, this theological background as a good Jew. I mean, he did pretty well as a Jew. But he said, but you know, when I met Jesus, all these things were nothing to me compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't take the knowledge of Christ as a mundane thing, but he, he really understood how wonderful it was to know Jesus. Another thing that he, where he uses an adjective when he, in, in 1 Timothy, he talks about the glorious gospel that was entrusted to me. He looked at the gospel as something glorious. A gospel, in, the, in my Swedish Bible, it says uh, the gospel of the glory of God. He looked at the gospel as being, I mean, the gospel message, the gospel story 
carries the glorious, the glory of God and the fact that God has entrusted it to me so that I can carry this gospel to those who don't have it. I think we as Christians, we need to come to this place of appreciation of who Jesus is and what he has really done for us. And also then appreciation of the gospel, how wonderful the gospel is. Because, you know, all these pictures, you saw those miracles, they were just because of the gospel. They were not because of me. I'm a very regular guy. Believe me. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. I'm a very, very regular, ordinary person, and I have my insecurities, I have my flaws, and probably more than most of you. But... I appreciate the gospel and I realize that God has entrusted me with the gospel and he has called me to carry this gospel to the ends of the earth to give it to those who don't have it and that is what gives value to my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, people are like, oh, Christopher Alam. It's not about Christopher Alam. It is about what he carries. It is not about, it's never about the man, but it is about what the man carries. And Paul says, the glorious gospel, the, the gospel of the glory of God, this gospel of Jesus that God in his wisdom has chosen to entrust to me, Paul. Hallelujah. Just imagine the treasures that we have been entrusted with. And sometimes we don't even realize how valuable, how priceless those things are that we carry. All right? So anyway, he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. The excellency of the knowledge of, I mean, the knowledge of Jesus is such a treasure that compared to that, all these things that I've lost are nothing. Are nothing. And then it says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, because when he came to Jesus, he was really put at a place where he, you know, he had to, he, he, he lost everything. The same Jews who looked at him, who revered him and, and kind of looked at him as a hero. And, you know, he, he was such a, a, a great figure in Judaism. And suddenly, the same people tried to kill him because he followed Jesus. And he suddenly, you know, he lost all that. And he knew what it would cost him because he came, he decided to follow Jesus at a time when his kind were persecuting the church. So he, he must have thought, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to lose all these things. But that meeting with Jesus was so spectacularly wonderful for him that he was willing to suffer the loss of all things. Everything that was precious, that was important to him, he was willing to 
just leave it behind him and he chose persecution for Jesus as being of greater value than all this. And then he says, Lord, so all this, and do count them but dung. You know what dung means? Now, let, let me be very, I know this is Texas. You guys are so prudish and religious. But, <laughs> Paul, you know, uh, you know and, and those translators must have been from Texas where they put dung. You know, the word actually means poop. Some of you, who he used that word poop in church. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Paul put, wrote that word in the Bible. Poop, what is poop? Let me, do you mind if I talk about poop for a minute? You okay? Now, poop is something, why are some of you shocked? Because this is something we just don't talk about. We all do it every day. If you don't, you go to the doctor. Doctor, I have a problem. Houston, I have a problem. But let me be plain. You know, when you, when, when you do your thing in the morning, you know, when you go to the bathroom and you do your, what do you do? You don't even, I mean, you flush it. You don't come out of the Bible and tell everybody, you should have seen what I've done there. Oh, oh I took a selfie with it. Put it on Facebook. This one can win prizes. You know, you don't. You, you, I mean, it's something you don't even commit it to memory. You flush it down. My point is that Paul looked at everything that was of value to him, his theological education, his pedigree, his learning, the standing he had in the eyes of people, how great he thought he was and how, how good he was in keeping the law. All these things that were pluses to him, he says, when I came to Jesus, I realized these things were worth nothing but flushing down the toilet. He's trying to make a point. And that's, what, that's the point I'm trying to make. I might shock some of you. But, but that is what he's saying. He says, everything that was of any value to me, everything that defined me, when I came to Jesus, I realized that all these things were worth nothing but to be flushed down the toilet and not even look back at them. But follow Jesus, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. They tried to kill me, they persecuted me, but I'd rather have that because that is where the treasure is. Are you with me? Okay, I promise not to talk about that subject anymore. We move on. Okay. Then he says here, and be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is what he talked about in the beginning, his own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him. Hallelujah. So he desires to be found in Christ. That's what his desire is. I want to be found in Christ. 
That's where I want to be seen. I want to, I want to be found in Christ. And he says, not having my own righteousness. Was that what he had? You know, he had his own righteousness by the law. He said, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. Amen. And then he says, that I may know him. Now, you think Paul knew Jesus by that point, <coughs> right? I mean, he had been to third heaven. He had heard words, revelations that he was not allowed to utter, right? He had raised so many dead people, planted so many churches. He wrote half the New Testament, right? So when we quote the New Testament, half of it was written by him. But his heart cry was still. He still didn't believe that was enough. He still didn't think he had arrived. He says, that I may know him. You know why? Because the riches that are found in Christ... You can spend your whole life trying to get to know Jesus. The fathomless riches of the person of Jesus Christ. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, the resurrection of Jesus was really, I would say, the greatest act of God on this earth. Because when Jesus died and he was in Hades, Satan wanted to keep him there. And somebody said there were no demon-possessed people that day because all the demons in hell went there to keep Jesus there. But God exerted his power to raise Jesus from the dead. That was the greatest exertion of the power of God. It was so powerful that when Jesus rose from the dead, not only Jesus, but that entire cemetery was raised from the dead. The entire cemetery where Jesus had been buried rose from the dead. There was such power unleashed. And Paul said, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then he said, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. He said, I'm even willing to die a death like him if that is what it would cost me to attain a resurrection like him. His identification with Christ was so complete that he desired to be like Jesus, even if it meant suffering a horrible, painful death like Jesus. If that is the price I have to pay to be like him. That is how passionate he was about being like Jesus. Are you with me? See, these are, these are some things that, you know, I study and I meditate on these things. And then I realize it's not, it's not only about going out there, preaching the gospel, seeing miracles, and living a good life. 
having this thing and having that thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you know, I'm prosperous, I'm blessed, hallelujah, and all that. Because none of those things matter anyway. I can't take them with me. Yeah. I, you, you, you think of life, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm turning 69 in a few months, and when you come up to my age, you know, when you're young, you want all this, you have all these things. But when you come to my age, you realize that, okay, all these things, I can't take anything with me. And then, then, then you realize, what are the things that are of real value? What are the things in my life that have eternal value? What are the things that have eternal value? And that's when you begin to think, okay, to know Jesus. And, and to not just know him, oh, I know Jesus, but re- do I really know Jesus? Do I, do I really know him? So, you know, the, these are the things. And so... So he said, so he said, verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. The word perfect here means matured, you know. He says, but I don't look at myself that I have really attained anything. I mean, you talk about accomplishments, right? If anybody had accomplishments, At that point in his life, it was the Apostle Paul. But he didn't think that he had any. He says, either were already matured, but I follow after. Remember those words. Everybody say, but I follow after. He said, I don't think I've taken a hold of these things, but I follow after. You know, to follow Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. To follow Jesus, to say, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. Amen. I, you know, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. When, when, when I got saved, three days after I got saved, uh, you know, I, I grew up as a Muslim, had never seen a Bible Never heard of Jesus until I was 21 years of age. Anyway, I don't want to go into the whole story, but I got saved. And three days later, I met these Christians and I wanted to know more. And he said to me, oh, so you want to follow Jesus? And these were like Jesus people types, you know, long haired and all that. So, uh, and they were very radical. Thank God that the people who discipled me were radicals and not like part-time National Guard Christians. (laughs) But these were regular army Christians. Full time. Do you understand? Not like weekend warrior Christians. (laughs) I would have been doomed, you know. So the guy says to me, and I'm still in touch with him. This guy, he said to me, he said, so you want to follow Jesus? He didn't say believe in Jesus or be a Christian. You want to follow Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, do you know the conditions for following Jesus? Oh, conditions? I didn't know there were conditions. I received Jesus. I felt my sins are forgiven. I feel great. I feel all my burdens have been lifted away. And I do want to follow him. He said, okay, sit down. Let me show you the conditions. So I sit down next to him. And he pulls out a Bible out of his shoulder bag. I'd never seen a Bible. These eyes had never seen a Bible until that point. He said, this is a Bible. And he opened it. He says, 
read this verse three times. Read it loudly so I can hear it. And these are the conditions for following Jesus. And those were the first words that I ever read out of a Bible. And you know what it was? It said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Yeah. Read it three times. He said, do you see what it means? I said, yeah, it says I have to deny myself, live a life of self-denial. Are you willing to do that? I said, yeah, I can do that. He says, do you know what it means, the second condition, to take up the cross and follow him? I said, I don't know what it means. He said, when Jesus took up the cross, he was going to the place of his execution. In the day, these are his words. He says, in the days of Jesus, if you ever saw a man carrying a cross, you know he was going to die. Yeah, yeah. And here Jesus is telling us that if we want to follow him, we have, be, we have to be ready to die. Yeah, yeah. And he says, then he said these words that I have never forgotten. He says, if you're not willing to die for Jesus, you're not fit to live for him. Are you ready to die? I thought, I said, you know, for him being a Muslim, it wasn't difficult. I said, yeah, four years ago, I was 17 years old. And we went to war. And the president, I told him this, I said, the president declared it was jihad. I said, when Muslims go to war, they believe that if they die in a holy war, they're going straight to heaven. And those who are really, really willing to die, the Muslims are buried not in a box, but in a shroud. So you tear off a one inch or two inches wide strip of your burial shroud, which you carry in your backpack. And you, carry, you tie that strip around your head and then you wear a helmet on it. So when you die, they say, okay, this guy was ready to die. And I said, I went to war wearing that thing. And now I realize that that was for the wrong cause, for the wrong God. But if I could be willing to die for Allah, shouldn't I be willing to die for Jesus who died for me? You see, that kind of gospel when, when, when you come to Jesus through that kind of gospel that for the rest of your life that decides what kind of perspective you're going to have in life yeah. do you see what I'm saying do you, do you know do you know why many uh, you know, uh, many American kids grown in America, they joined ISIS. Have you, you remember? And kids who grew up in church converted to Islam. You know? Because the church never gave them anything worth dying for. People love their lives too much. And Jesus said, whosoever loves his life, shall lose it. People love this world too much. And we, we in churches are often so scared. You know, we, we try to keep uh, fanaticism 
Listen, our kids need to be fanatics. We try to keep fanaticism. We want our kids to be normal, you know. Cushion them from all sides. We won't, don't want them to be fanatics like we were. We were crazy. And we made mistakes. We don't want our kids to make the same mistakes. So we cushion them from all sides. But that's the greatest disservice we do to them. Christianity is something worth dying for, worth living for. Hallelujah. Amen. So Paul said, are you still with me? So Paul said, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And that's really the title of my message. Apprehended in order to apprehend. Apprehend means to take hold of. That means I follow Jesus so that I may take hold of that for which he took a hold of me. You see, your life is so valuable, created in the image of God, washed in the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus took a hold of you. Why did he take a hold of you? So the quest of your life, of the rest of your life, is to follow Jesus so that you can take a hold of that for which he took a hold of you. I'm very aware of this. I've always lived my life very aware of this. That Jesus took a hold of my life with a purpose. Why did he do that? I mean, in my class, when I was an army officer in the military, there were 70 people in my class, and I was right at the bottom of my class. But for some reason, he picked on me. He picked me up. When I was suicidal, when I was lost, when my life was worth nothing, he picked me up and I'm still 47 years later, I'm still trying to figure out why. And that is a quest of my life. I'm following Jesus to take a hold of that for which he took a hold of me. So you are, you are sitting here and you might say, you know, I'm here and I have these problems. Listen, Jesus took a hold of you. There are millions of people outside there. For some reason, he went past them to take a hold of you. With your problems, with your issues, with the things you struggle with. He took a hold of you. So follow him. And then you also realize one thing through life, that his hold on you is greater than your hold on him. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Hallelujah. His hold on us is far greater than our hold on him. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, all that the Father has given to me are mine and nobody shall ever pluck them out of my hand. Why? Because, you know, I look at myself with my warts, with my 
you know, with my issues, with my problems, and, and they, I want prayer for those things, I want counsel, you know, I, I, I don't want to be like this. You know, you heard the message this morning, and, and people come for prayer because they think, you know, I have all these issues. Yes, but he has taken a hold of you. Yeah. And for some reason, yeah. he sees something in you that you don't see right. in yourself, and that's why he won't let you go. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? He won't let go of you. Because his hold on you is greater than your hold on him. And so Paul says, this one thing I do, I follow after. So that I may apprehend. I may take a hold of that for which he has taken hold of me. Hallelujah. And then he says here. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. One thing, just one thing. Don't have to do 20 things. If you want to walk in victory, one thing. If you want to walk with Jesus, one thing. And what's that one thing? Forgetting those things which are behind. If you could just do this, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before me. Hallelujah. Hmm? Forget. I have a lot of things to forget. How my parents treated me. How I was beaten up as a kid by my stepmother. How I left my home when I was 13. Joined the military. I was a combat veteran in 17, suicidal, messed up, had nothing to live for. I had one suicide attempt behind me. A lot of things to forget. A lot of people to forgive. Not easy. Do you understand? Sometimes we think, oh, preachers say these things because their lives are perfect. My life wasn't perfect. It's probably worse than most of yours. So I have the right to tell you that because I've been there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So a lot of things to, a lot of people to forgive. A lot of things to forget. But they're also good things. Like last week's crusade, 25,000 baptized with the Holy Spirit. I can't rest on that the rest of my life. Forget the good things. Forget the bad things. He says, this one thing I do, I forget that which is behind. And I press forward. Oh, hallelujah. I press forward. Hallelujah. I press forward because for the things that God has ahead of me. Amen. He says, this one thing I can do. Sometimes people try to un- unravel. You know, there's a, there's a story. I think it's a legend. When I used to study Greek history when I was a kid, there was a there was a, a knot. It was called a Gordian knot. It was a chariot that was tied to a tree. And that tree had, uh, and that rope tying the tree to the chariot was, had, had not. It was, and, and, and the knot was a ball about six, seven feet, you know, in uh, diameter. And, and, and the legend was, whoever can untie the knot will be the next king of Macedonia. 
and people tried to, un- couldn't. Then comes Alexander the Great. You know what he did? He looked at the knot, he took his sword and cut it off. Sometimes that is what you have to do with your life. Forget that which is behind. Press forward. Follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Follow Jesus. Forget the past. And follow Jesus. Amen. Not build your own future through psychology. Psychology will tell you, okay, you do this yoga. You take this position. You go, you go, you know, self-realization. It's not about self-realization. It's you forget the past and you follow Jesus. To take a hold of that for which he has taken hold of you. Amen. He says, so he says here, he says, he said, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. The prize is the high calling of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. Because if you're earthly minded, earth will tie you down and eat you up and spit you out. Amen. Then it says, look at, I like verse 15. He says, what I do, I forget all this stuff and I press forward, you know, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then he says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect. Again, the word perfect here is mature. Let us therefore, as many as be mature, be thus minded. Mature Christians think like this. That's what he says. He says, those of us who are mature, let us be this way. So a mature Christian isn't a Christian who has no problems. A mature person isn't one who has it all worked out. A mature person isn't even a person who prays a lot, who knows the Bible. But a mature person is one who follows Jesus. And in his following, he forgets the past. To take a hold of that which ahead. To apprehend that for which he's apprehended. So that's what Paul is saying. He said, let all of us who are mature, let us be like-minded. And if any, in anything, you be otherwise minded, that means if you don't think like me, God shall reveal it to you. Amen? So God, you know, God has a, God has a purpose for your life. Hallelujah. You know, Paul lays it out so simply. He talks about his life and his passion. And then he, he lays it out. He says, I just want to know Jesus. When, when you focus your life on following Jesus and being like him, it whittles down everything else. Do you understand? You, you don't need life coaches. You know, I'm with the Assemblies of God, and and Assemblies of God, the latest big thing is life coaches. Many pastors, I was joking with Pastor Eddie, he says, we've got six-fold ministry gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher, and the life coach. (laughs) Obviously, people have so many psychological problems these days. They need a life coach. You don't. Follow Jesus. Let go of the past and make it your goal to be like him. 
make it the goal of your life to take a hold of that for which he has taken a hold of you. Believe me, it has improved my life. So if you may ask me, you had such a terrible background, don't you? Doesn't your past plague you or follow you? No, it doesn't. Honestly, it doesn't. It is there. It's my life. I know I experienced those things. I've not forgotten it. Some people think that means that to be healed is to forget things. You don't forget things. The less you think of them, they become fainter and fainter in your memory, but they're there. Right? If I dig after them, they are there. They're still there. There's no spiritual amnesia in which you say, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) What? I don't remember anything since before yesterday. There's no spiritual amnesia. But what it means is that when you pursue after Jesus to be like him, the power of those memories lose their grip on your life so they can't follow you around and torment you. The other thing you have to remember that nobody's life is perfect. To varying degrees, we have all had difficult lives and we all have issues to deal with. And I'll talk about some of those things, how I had to deal with issues in my life. But, but the important thing is that God can use you in spite of the way you are today. Today. It all depends upon what you give yourself to. Amen? Anyway, so what do we do from here? What do we do from here? What does, where we are today, what do you do? Well, three things, to keep it simple. Firstly, be single-minded and focused on being like Jesus. Be single-minded and focused on being like Jesus. Forget all that other stuff, you know, oh, I want this. Look, keep it simple, okay? I call it the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Keep it simple. Be single-minded and focus on being like Jesus. Okay, just, just, just keep it simple. Single-minded and focus on being like Jesus. Make that the goal of your life. Because, you know, the goal, Paul says in Galatians, God's ultimate goal with us is so that we may be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's ultimate goal. I mean, he wants to be us to be like Jesus. That's what he's doing in our lives. All right? Amen. And life and ministry flows out of that. You know, I... I, I honestly, I don't want to have a healing ministry. I don't. I don't want to have big, it's, it's not what I want. All I want is to be like Jesus. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. All I want to do is follow Jesus. And as I walk with Jesus, I end up doing these things because that is the destiny God has chosen for me. It's not my ambition. 
or my dream? No, my dream. You know what my happy place is? My happy place is when I come home or I'm in my hotel room. If, I, if you really, what is your happy place? It's not on the platform. It's not to see miracles. When I come home or I come back from a meeting, I, I like to lay on the floor and worship Jesus. And then very often I see the feet of Jesus. I actually see the feet of Jesus. And I lay my head on his feet like a pillow. And I said, Lord, this is where I want to be the rest of my life. You can take the ministry, take everything. Let me just be at your feet. Yeah. That is when I'm truly content and happy. That is my happy place. Yeah. We must find a happy place like that. Yeah. Honestly, it's not about accomplishing something or doing something or having results but it's to be at the feet of Jesus. Right? Anyway. So firstly, be single-minded and being focused on being like Jesus. Secondly, be a man of the word. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. It is, you can't say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't love the word. People think that, oh, it's, loving Jesus isn't an emotional thing. Be a man of the word. Secondly, be a man of the spirit. Be a man of God's word. Be a man of the spirit. No, I want to finish with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 2.14. This is a very misunderstood scripture, but I love this. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. You know what this is actually? The sense of the scripture, what what Paul is trying to describe is this. You see, when the old You know, back in the days of Imperial Rome, when the Roman armies used to go to war and they used to bring back their prisoners and the prisoners used to be in chains. So the armies would march in front of Caesar, the generals, the commanders, you know, the centurions, they used to march before Caesar's and the soldiers would march and with them, the, the prisoners they had brought were marched in front of season in chain. And what Paul is saying, that we are those prisoners. Jesus has conquered us from Satan. And we are trophies and evidence of his victory over the devil. And wherever we are marched as his prisoners, through us, he spreads the fragrance of his victory. Hallelujah. So it's not that we are triumphant soldiers marching, but we are the prisoners of Christ. Just think of it. Once we were the enemies of God, but Jesus came and he conquered us. And now we are his prisoners. And so he says, he causes us to march in triumph. 
That yeah. means in his, actually in his triumphal procession. Yeah. That's what it means. He says we are marching in his triumphal pr procession yeah. as his prisoners. We are prisoners of Jesus. And wherever we go, people look at us and they say, that man is evidence of the fact that Jesus has defeated the devil and conquered him. Hallelujah. My life is a living evidence, a living proof to those who see me that Jesus is bigger than the devil, that Jesus has conquered the devil and taken me away from the devil. And now I belong to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your life is evidence of the fact that Jesus has defeated the devil. He says, thanks be to God who causes us to march in triumphal procession. And through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Wherever we go, people can smell Jesus. They say, oh, I smell Jesus. Mm, Brother Roland, mm, what's that perfume? It smells, oh, no, it's not... Uh, Yves Saint Laurent, it's not Christian dear, it is Jesus, ha ha, glory. He's proof that Jesus has conquered the devil. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you, you think of it, the, Paul talks about the mystery that was hidden, but is now revealed to us. And you know, you know, and, and the angels longed to know those things, but they couldn't. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they longed, the patriarchs longed to know those things, but they don't. But God has revealed those to us by his spirit. You know what the mystery is? The mystery is what God has done for us through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. That is the mystery. And that has been revealed to us. The full gospel that Jesus was whipped and beaten, crowned with thorns, bearing the diseases and sicknesses of all mankind. That the curses that were upon mankind because of sin fell upon him. And that when he was upon the cross, the sins of mankind were put upon Jesus. That Jesus paid the total price for the sins and diseases and shortcomings of man. And that revelation has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. So let us not treat that revelation as something simple and profane that we can ignore. Hmm? Because in Hebrews, at the end of the first chapter, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Such a wonderful salvation God has given to us. Message of forgiveness. Message of healing. Just think of it, that all those things that you're carrying in your mind, your mental issues, your physical issues, 
Jesus has already taken them upon his own self. That is the gospel. Is the simple truth. Don't make it more complicated than it is. That thing which you are carrying in your mind and body, Jesus has already carried it. It is here. So what do you do with it? You just give it to him and say, thank you, Jesus, for your cross. Thank you for that whipping post because when you were tied to that whipping post, when you were whipped and beaten, you bore all my heart trouble, diabetes, whatever it was, upon your own self so that I can walk free. All my mental troubles, all my torments, you bore them upon the cross. All my sins you bore upon the cross so that I don't have to bear them so that I can walk free. Hallelujah. What a simple message. Embrace it in simplicity. Hallelujah. Ministry is about helping people receive from God. And many times you, the, an anointing can flow very powerful. Even when we were up here praying for people, but you could tell where it, where it went out and where it didn't. And many times people failed to receive because of exactly what he was talking about, hanging on to the past. And I'm not talking about hanging on to your past when you were a sinner. Because hanging on to your past when you're a sinner, once your sins have been remitted, the main thing that God does with you is he removes fear of punishment. That's what he does. That's what salvation is all about. You lose that fear of being punished because, be, because of being born into the human family. Amen. But listen, we all have failures serving God. They should not be perpetual. They should not be continual. But the enemy can take one setback in your life. One, one, how can I say it? One, 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 one season of your life in which you feel like you failed God and use that against you the rest of your life the rest of your life and he listen he'll beat you to death with it but you've got to understand just as much as you're saved you're cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer forgiveness belongs to you as a believer forgiveness belongs to you and you know we used to I grew up in the in the assemblies of God and we used to always be very sensitive about whether you were right with God or not to the point of legalism now that's it's not it's not good to go into legalism. But listen, the charismatic move came way away from that where people begin to get into sin and never even question it. And then they wondered why they couldn't receive from God. So I think we need to get back to that place. I began to pray about four or five years ago, perpetually out of John chapter one. Father, sins of omission, sins of commission, things that I know I've done, things that I know I've not done the blood of I ask the power of the blood of Jesus be applied to me today I do that every day now every day you know I heard someone say I take communion I don't I take the blood I don't I take the blood every day now listen what that's going to do is that's going to separate you from your spiritual failures your spiritual setbacks why, why the healing hadn't manifested yet why this hadn't happened that, that'll keep you pure that'll keep you whole you say what, what, what difference does that make? Listen, a clean temple, God can move in a clean temple. God can, that's what Jesus did. He cleansed the temple. Then the Bible says, then came to him the hog, 
the lame, the withered. Those are three different conditions that you can literally apply to physical and mental conditions. The halt, the lame, the withered. Amen. And the Bible says they came to him and he healed them there. We're in the place of the cleansed temple. In the place of the cleansed temple. You know, you get one, you get one on one side, you take it into legalism, and then you have all the all the people that, you know, you can't do this with your hair, women can't cut their hair, can't wear makeup. And then you get on the other side of it where you you think grace is a, is an excuse to do anything. You can't live in either place. You have to come right down to the middle and stay right and stay holy before God because then your failures and your setbacks will be your excuse for not receiving in the now. For not receiving right now in the now. And here's the problem with a lot of people in the church is, is you've gone a lot of years without really receiving something major in your life and the small things have built into the big thing now. And you need breakthrough. And you need breakthrough. Financial, health, mental, things going on in your family and you're like, you know, it seems like all hell is breaking. You don't have to live like that. Let me say that again. You don't have to live like that. Thank God we're going to gather this week, Monday, Monday morning. What time are we Monday morning, Roland? 10 o'clock, Monday morning. Prayer's at 9. Well, I don't get up that early. You ought to get up early tomorrow and come to prayer. Amen. People wonder why. Well, why don't things happen for me? Well, it may may be a reason. We talk about that divine, making that connection again. You know, it's wonderful to live. Under a light burden and an easy yoke. It's work to stay there. It's work to stay there. You don't worry about money. You don't worry about fame or fortune, none of that kind of stuff. You become a follower of Jesus. Did you know every every person, the major players of the previous generation, most of them came from a deathbed where they were dying. Kenneth E. Hagan, Lester Summerall, Oral Roberts, men that were literally would not have lived to their 18th birthday. And miraculously, God raised them up. And something got a hold of them. And the expression of their ministry was not them trying to be some big, you know, hotshot preacher with all the accolades. They're just trying to get a hold of them, raise them up off that death. That's why they were humble. That's why God used them powerfully. And that's why they were always involved in what God was doing, whether it was a huge crusade with thousands of people or a few people gathered in a prayer meeting. Every one of them ministered powerfully in every genre. Just like Christopher does. Men of destiny, men that carry the move of God, carry revival. The Bible's full. Paul, go study his messages in the book of Acts. He starts with this phrase, I was on the road to Damascus and a light shined from me. See, something got a hold of him. Something got a hold of him that he spent a lifetime in ministry to get a hold of. He didn't pray for a big church like Ephesus, a, a, a missionary church like, he said, no, that I might know him. That's it, that I might know him. That's all that matters. If you want to sum up everything about my calling in my life, it's this, that I might know him. And all this other stuff, has been ulterior motives to my one true motive, and that is to find Jesus. 
I didn't know that as a child when I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. But after being away from God and actually have God getting a hold of me, March the 7th, 1984, God got a hold of me. And everything I've done since then has been me trying to get a hold of such a grace and a mercy that would allow someone who knew better to run from God, shake his fist as God said, I'll never do that. And God just smiled. He said, that's what you think. That's what you think. But see, we listen to Christopher's story. And we listen to Brother Hagen's story. And we listen to Brother Summerall's story. Or, and we think, oh, that's so, so, so great, so sensational. But your story is no different. You were on your way to hell. And something got a hold of you. God chose you. You don't, that's got to dawn on your mind. That God passed over millions of people. And there was something about you that he desired. He wanted. You were the pearl of that great price that he was willing to give everything for. And one of the biggest reasons we don't have a powerful move of God in the church today is people do not value that. They do not value how much God values them. And when you begin to value how much God values you, you don't have to go look for a revival. You're a revival looking for a place to have. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands one more time. Father, we worship you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your anointing. And Father, we've gathered to be changed this week. We've gathered to go home with something different. We've gathered, we've gathered to make gathered to make that divine connection to these last days, Grace. Behold their threatenings, Lord. Behold their threatenings. They threaten to destroy the world. Mere mortal men. would threaten the very planet. Wake up your church, Lord. Show us the glorious church, Lord. Give us that, give us that unction, that anointing. Let us be delivered from the apathy and the complacency of the modern life. Let us recognize we've been called for such a time as this. Thank you, Jesus. Let the word be our standard. Let prayer be our passion. Let Jesus be our deepest desire. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Fathers. We need to leave tonight. Your great hand of grace and protection is upon us. We claim Psalms 91. No evil will befall us. No plague will come nigh us. Father, we thank you. We'll come back in the morning and regain and retain this atmosphere, this refreshing this reviving, this revelation of Him, of Jesus. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you, Father. We leave tonight walking in love and faith towards you. We love you so much. We walk in love one toward another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.